you are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. this morning. Thank you so much for, for joining us here this morning. We're excited to have you here with us uh, as we uh, look to, to the Word of God today. If you're online watching with us this morning, we're so thankful for you joining us as well. Thank you for being here. And uh, we are looking forward to a, a great week. Um, but even most importantly, I think the Lord is going to hopefully speak something to each and every one of us. I believe He will. And uh, as we look to the Word of God this morning, uh, we're going to be in a uh, book of the Bible called Psalms, Psalm 100. And I, don't know, I know for some of us, we know that psalm. It's a very famous psalm in the Old Testament. And that's where we're going to be uh, looking at today, Psalm 100. Um, and in this uh, chapter, we're, and even up to leading up to these chapters, if you read Psalm 93 up to Psalm 100... There's a theme that comes out of those psalms uh, talking about the Lord reigns, the Lord reigns, and it's such a a powerful set of psalms, and uh, so today's main idea is going to be about the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. I remember when a student uh, years ago had given his life to Christ, and uh, we were talking in the car together, and he was just so uh, amazed by this book of psalms. He uh, started talking to me about it. He had just started diving into it. He used the Version Bible app, would play it, let the voice read the Psalms to him. He would listen to it, and it, he would fall asleep on it at night. And he's like talking to me in the car as I was taking him home. He's like, Pastor Bobby, I love this book of the Bible. I love this book of the Bible so much. I listen to it even when I go to bed at night. And I was like, what book are you talking about? He goes, the book of Palms. And I was like, the book of Palms? I'm like, wait a minute, like, what is the book? Oh, I said, you, you're talking about the book of Psalms. He's like, oh, is that what they call it? All right, we'll call it Psalms. Um, but uh, it's such a, a powerful book of the Bible, uh, Psalms. And so we're going to be in the 100th Psalm this morning. And um, as we look at this, and as we look to this week, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be talked about in these set of verses, just five verses. But uh, it's going to talk about gladness. It's going to talk about joy. It's going to talk about thanksgiving. Uh, and so as we walk into this week, especially, uh, there's a, uh, you know, whether you're celebrating with family and friends or people you care about, the, the, this is a, a great reminder to us about this week, um, about giving thanksgiving to God and the Lord reigning all over the earth. And so this morning, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, this Thanksgiving, you know, we're going to be eating maybe a lot of food. Uh, so much food that we're not going to be able to even contain it in ourselves, amen? And uh, it's going to be a, a hopefully a good, good time for you. But um, this morning, as I was reflecting on that, uh, I was reminded of the day after Thanksgiving. How many know what happens the day after Thanksgiving, right? It's that Black Friday shopping, right? Um, and I remember it's kind of different now when I first did it. I did it one time and one time only, and there's a reason for that is because you used to line up uh, at these stores, and you would sit there in these long lines. And I remember going uh, in Indiana. We went to a place called Target. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, (laughs) I remember going into this place called Target. But that line, I mean, as far as I could tell, as far all, like, normalcy goes out the window. That's all I'm going to say. And uh, it's anything, uh, it's not really a place for, for, for saints. I don't know if you know that, because we, we don't necessarily act very uh, Christ-like in those kinds of stores on Black Friday. But I just remember just experiencing that for the first time and seeing everybody running at, as fast as they possibly can, and they're carrying their kids on their hip, right? And they're running along, and there's people bumping into each other. There's things falling over, and, 
and people are sliding almost like they're playing baseball going into second base or something and they're trying to get to that TV or that hair dryer and I'm just like oh my goodness and then the line itself to check out takes just as long it's like hour and a half two hours of waiting in line just to check out it is un unreal so praise God for online shopping amen and uh Oh, man. But it's an adrenaline rush. If you want an adrenaline rush, there you go. Go for it. Um, But as we look to the psalm today, we're going to look at this account in Psalm 100 about the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. And uh, so we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 today. They're going to talk about three different things. We're going to talk about delighting in the Lord. Uh, That's going to be our first point this morning. We're going to talk about knowing that the Lord is God and that we're going to talk about trusting the Lord, trusting the Lord. So here we go. We're going to end the first point today about delighting in the Lord. Everybody say delight. This is important uh, word to take from this. He says this in the very first Psalm, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs, come before him with joyful songs. Um, And this Psalm uh, if you read this and understand the history of the nation of the people of Israel, uh, they are hearing about this and the, hearing about the word or hearing about the Lord reigning. Their God reigns over all the earth. This isn't a time uh, where they've become a national superpower, where it's like everybody is afraid of them and their armies. Um, it's not necessarily a time where everything's going well in their life. Not, it's not necessarily a time where the economy is booming and and there's just, uh, you know, great jobs out there. There's increased pay, all these different things. These are at a time where uh, these are troubling times. These is a, this is a time where things are difficult and can be difficult. Um, and so the psalmist right at the start says, shout. And this is an important, uh, important word because this was used when the uh, Israelites were marching around the walls of Jericho. I mean, if you remember that story, it's the same word where Joshua, the commander of the armies of Israel, they're getting ready to enter this promised land, but uh, there is a place called Jericho that they have to go through, and there's a fortress. And so what God tells uh, Joshua to do and his people, he says, I want you to march around six times or once each day for six days. I want you to march around their city uh, six days, once every day. And then on the seventh day, you're going to do it seven times, and then you're going to shout at the end when I instruct you, and I'm going to give you victory. So this is, the, this is the command that they carry out. And this is what Joshua does. He, he says, shout for the Lord has given us the city. Shout for the Lord has given us the city. And so this is what the psalmist has realized. Is as a believer in God, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't have to fight for victory, but I fight from victory. There's a big difference between fighting for victory than fighting from it. When you understand the authority that Jesus had and the authority that Jesus says, I now freely give to you, this is the same type of mindset you and I can walk in life with, is that I'm not fighting for victory, but I'm fighting from it. There's a different type of authority that's given. And this is what the psalmist says right at the start. He says, shout for joy all to the Lord, all the earth. This is a very radical psalm. Because if you understand something, even when Jesus came, the Jewish people thought this was just all about them. It was all about them and their story and what God was doing. Their God was going to reign and and all these different things. They just thought it was all about them. And what Jesus came to show them is like, no, you are going to be a vessel I use to, to show you who the real God is over all the earth. You are a vessel. You're important, but so is the whole earth. Everybody in it is important. This is why the Bible says that the Lord desires for all to come to know him, all people, not just a select group, but everybody. And he uses the Jewish people as a way to show who he is, that he is the one true God. He is the one that reigns over all the earth. And so this is for all the earth. This is a very, very radical statement to be made, especially even in this time, is that this is for the world. And he welcomes the world. Then he talks about... Um, Worshiping the Lord with gladness. Another word that's used there is serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Worship the Lord with gladness. Or you can use the word serve the Lord with gladness. The reason why you can do that, the reason why the psalmist is telling us to do that, because you understand what God has already done for you. 
you already understand the authority he has already given to you. Once you know that, this is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans, if God be for us, who can be against us? This is why Paul mentions that in that Romans chapter. And so this is so important that everything, when it comes to it, we are to worship the Lord with gladness. We worship him, we serve him, our allegiance belongs to him. And this is, you know, when you understand that your allegiance belongs to him, when you are operating with this mindset of, I'm not fighting for victory, I'm fighting from it, I am operating in authority. Paul says in, in, in the New Testament, he talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that whenever you face something, because you will face something, Jesus says you will, it's coming, if it's not already here, but there's more that you'll face in this life, you have a different mindset when you approach those situations. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. And this is what is so critical. What Paul came to realize, and what he, the psalmist even realized, is that when these things come against me, when I feel these things, I know that I can take authority over this. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. This is why Paul says, I take every thought captive and I make it obedient to Christ. Even those thoughts of fear, even the thoughts of stress, anxiety, uh, worry, or you, the list can go on and on. When you see a situation, it doesn't look good. The Paul says, take every thought captive. Take every thought. Don't let that get rooted in you because it's not of God. It's different than that. And so he tells us then to understand where our allegiance is. Then he tells us to come before him with joyful songs. I love that. I love to come before him with joyful songs simply because when you look at the word joy, we understand this. It's not a situational type of thing. If it was situational, we would go to Chick-fil-A every day, amen, and we would get our chicken and eat that delicious holy chicken, put it in our bodies, and we would be feeling joy for the rest of our day, right? But that's not the case, right, all the time. It's not situational, right? It is based off of something that you know and off of a circumstance that you've already walked through, a situation you're walking through. This is what joy is. Joy is when you see the fingerprints of God in a situation, in a circumstance you walk through. The joy of the Lord, this is why Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, he says, the joy of the Lord will be my strength. Because Nehemiah faced something, everybody faces something, Jesus faced something, but he understood the fingerprints of God on every situation. He saw the hand of God. They see the hand. And this is why it's so critical that you and I see the hand of God on our life. Because when we see the hand of God on our life, it gives us joy knowing that he never actually abandoned us. He's actually always been with us. That the, even the psalmist says this, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. The Bible is very clear that even on the mountaintop, God is with you. Even in the darkest valley, God is with you. The fingerprints of God. This is what I do. This is what I practice. Not because I came up with some amazing philosophy. It actually comes from the Bible. But if you read Acts chapter 4, in the early days of the church, after Jesus had ascended to heaven, the church experiences persecution. And then what they experience after that is they experience a lot of threats, uh, a lot of those types of things. And so their first response when they approached God was to name off characteristics of who God is. So as a common practice in my own life, before I ever tell God about what's going on in my life, I start listing, and I write it down, I start listing things of who God is. Because I am not necessarily reminding God of who he is, because he already knows who he is. <laughs> what I am doing is I'm reminding myself of the authority of, that God has over all the earth. And so when you approach God, that's what I do. I, I like to take five things and I just list them on my, in my book. I'll just write it down. I'll say, God is my creator. God is an authority. God is gracious. God is just. God is loving. Whatever characteristic, God is faithful. God is loving. I start writing that down because of what they did in Acts chapter 4. They're not going to tell God how big their problem is. They're going to tell their problem how big their God is. They're going to do the exact opposite. God already knows your problem. God already knows how big it is to you, but to him, he says, there's no one my equal, not even one. There's no one who can be compared to me. Isaiah 40 says that. There's no one even close to my comparison. 
And so when I approach God, I first of all am going to list who God is. Then I will start to list things of things I'm thankful for. Because when I'm doing, and this worked, this, this is not some philosophy Pastor Bobby came up with. Please understand that. Paul said, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about the things in the Lord. This comes directly from the Bible, where, they, where you and I can then begin to list things that you've seen God do. You've seen God answer. You've seen God maybe help in a situation. Uh, you're thankful for breath in, the, breath in your lungs. You're thankful for whatever. You start listing things that you've seen. You just, and it may not be huge. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be like, wow, amazing fireworks and all that stuff. It doesn't have to be. What you are doing is you are renewing your mind. As Paul says, I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind. Paul realized what I am doing is I'm naming the characteristics of God because I'm not going to tell God how big the problem is because to him, it's nothing. And what I'm going to do is now I'm going to train my mind to understand that I have seen the hand of God in any and every situation and I will continue to see the hand of God in any and every situation. Even though the result may not go according to my plan, I know it's going to go according to his. And this is what you and I can do. You don't have to practice the exact same way I do it. If you want to use some different type of way, I go for it. But you and I need to practice that if we're going to build a heart of thanksgiving, if we're going to get deep within inside of us that the Lord reigns and that we don't have to fear, we don't have to be anxious, I don't have to... I don't have to think of what's going to happen because I know he is with me because this is what it means to delight in the Lord. You begin to see God in any and every situation because of what the psalmist even says. He says, come before him with joyful song. So what does that mean? It means you come prepared. <laughs> you, come you come prepared before God. It's like tomorrow or this week or next week, next month, you have a meeting that you're going to be walking into. You've got you know, a job, you got whatever. How many know you've got to be mentally prepared for whatever is about to be presented? A problem, a situation, you've got to be prepared. So you prepare yourself for that encounter. So this is what the psalmist says. He says, come before him with joyful song, which means you need to be prepared. Prepare your heart for what God wants to actually do. You're preparing yourself. This is what, it, this is what it's about. It's about preparation preparing your heart, because then you come expectant, ready for God to do something that's completely brand new, some, some amazing things. This is how you're setting yourself up for a miracle. Now, how does this play out in our lives? Well, I'll give you some ways of how it plays out, because what you need to realize is that God is active. He's active when you're on the mountaintops, when life's just going great. He's active, and he becomes even more real, even if you're in a dark valley. God will be real. About 10 or 11 years ago, in between there, I received a call. I had a good friend of mine in college where I received a call, and we had graduated, and we had gone our separate ways as far as life and our journeys, but I received a call about 10 or 11 years ago, and I'll never forget it. He was with two other friends of mine from college, and they went out. I think they were camping or something, and you know how you come upon a turn and you didn't re he didn't realize how sharp the turn was until it was too late? Have you ever been there, driven like that? You drove and you see a turn coming, but the turn was actually sharper than, than what you thought. And so he didn't have the best vehicle. I called it a piece of junk uh, to keep him humble, but uh, um, it wasn't the nicest vehicle in the world. And I remember he approached that turn and it was sharper than what he realized, and he actually flipped the vehicle. And he, the two, that, two of them were in the back seat they remained in the vehicle. He got ejected from the vehicle, and he was laying in the road, and they thought he was dead. And there was nothing they could do. They were stuck. Uh, obviously, the emergency services, they came and went to him, and I get a call from his parents saying, I, they don't think he's going to make it. It doesn't look good. And all of a sudden, to me, what happened in that moment was a flashback. It wasn't a flashback to this specific situation, it was a flashback to what happened 18 years ago in my life, where at 15 years old, I lost my best friend in a car wreck. And then I had to process through that as a teenager. How, how do you process through that? And I've, and I, you know, made statements. I, you know, with God, I had questions. I said, God, where are you in this? Uh, and what I've realized 18 years ago is how God was doing something even in my darkest valley. 
when I was in a dark valley. I was like, God, where are you? God, how could you do this? How could you allow this to happen? And what I didn't realize all along, I didn't realize this till years later, but how God used that situation, that story of my life, to reach people one-on-one, to reach people in small group crowds, even big crowds. I've reached, been able to share my story with, when I was in college, I worked at a Home Depot and uh, uh, at a different state, and I, I had a guy who just started opening up saying he just lost, or had lost uh, his fiance in a car wreck who was hit by a drunk driver. And in that moment, it just like, bam, it hit me. It was like, God, you prepared me to share the gospel with this man in this moment. And I'm able to not maybe not necessarily identify 100%, but I'm able to speak from a place where I know the hurt, I know the questions, because he's saying the exact same questions I've asked. God, where are you in that? Where are you? And I remember I got to share the gospel with him, and it was an amazing experience. And I've also got to share that with big groups and school assemblies, even locally here in Hartford County, I've been able to share my story. And I've seen teenagers come to know Christ. And I've been able to share that in other countries around the world. And I've seen people give their life to Christ, not because of who I am. That's not what this is about. If anything, uh, you know, if anybody's thinking I'm trying to put myself on a pedestal, I'll, I'll tear it right down, tear it down right now. Because I said things to God that I'm not proud of. And I, and I am so thankful for a gracious and merciful God because of the disrespectful things I said to him. And yet I've seen God's hand in those types of situations. And then as I approached this situation, I said, you know, I started having flashbacks about what had happened 18 years ago. And this had happened 10 or 11 years ago. And I said, you know, I just started praying. I started, I'm like, God, I, I don't want this. I don't want this to happen anymore. I don't want this to happen again. All these different things. Long story short, he, he did survive. Uh, he's in ministry. He's doing the, pursuing a call that God has put on his life. And he's been there for me in dark moments. But what is so amazing to me is the miraculous work of God in that situation. Because when he flipped it and he was ejected, he didn't go through, uh, he didn't go through the front. He actually went through the sunroof. His body can't, trust me, I've been in that vehicle. His body cannot logically fit through a sunroof. But his body went through it somehow, some way. And I believe it's the miraculous work of God. And what you become to realize is those that were on the scene said this, if he remained in the vehicle, he would have been crushed. And he would have died. And so from it, I've been in a valley, dark valley. I've also seen the miraculous work of God. And I can't explain everything, and I can't explain all of it, because I think there's a point of where you just got to realize the Lord reigns, I don't. <laughs> and it comes to the point of where I say, you know what, Lord? You're going to use all things. That's what Romans 8.28 says. So when I read Romans 8.28, those are two situations I think about. God, you said in your word, Romans 8.28, you're working all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to his purposes. It is a promise from God, and it's a promise from for you and me. God will work even the valleys to bring honor and glory to him. Connects it to people's hearts and souls to change them. And it brings things to life. It's such an, an amazing thing to catch on to. Now, as the psalmist goes, he says this, know the Lord is God. This is the second point. Know the Lord is God. This is what Psalm 100 verse 3 Know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The key word to catch there is the Lord. The Lord is God. This is best uh, illustrated, I think, especially since recently we walked through a series in Acts, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 talks about a man named Saul who was persecuting Christians for a living. And Jesus, on his way, this man is on his way to persecute more Christians. Jesus stops him on the road to Damascus. And speaks to him. It says Saul falls to the ground. And he says this. He says who are you Lord? Who are you Lord? That word Lord means. You're the one in control over me. You're in the one in control over me. The Bible says this. One day every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. He is Lord. Where you are following him. Or you are not. You're going to have an experience like Saul. 
where you are literally going to fall to the ground and you're going to bow your knee to him and you're going to say, you are Lord. This is the experience Saul had, but it's, except for Saul had it in this life. He had it in this life. And what he realized on, on this road to Damascus is that he is the Lord in control over me. So whenever you see that, the word, the Lord, know the Lord is God, you are understanding every situation. The Lord is in control over me. He's in control over the whole thing. He's in control. This is what is so powerful about 2 Timothy, verse 1 through 7. This is why Paul can make his statements because he's been in these areas. He's been at these places. And he says this, that for God has not given me a spirit of fear. And for Timothy, who he's speaking to in that book, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Paul has come to realize something. His, his name eventually gets changed to Paul. Paul has come to realize something, is that God has not given me a spirit of fear, a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of, of, of whatever, a spirit of, of being burnt out or depressed. God has not given me those things. God has given me these things, spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. These are the things God has given me. And when you begin to realize it, when you begin to step into that, that no matter what the enemy throws at you, no matter the situation, the diagnosis, even the temptation, or even the results, it's the Lord God who is in control. He is in control over all of it. And it's such a, a powerful principle when you begin to step and walk in this authority, because what Paul realized on that road to Damascus he, I, we've talked about grace in Romans and about this story, about the grace of God. But I want us to understand the mercy of God in this story because Paul realized what mercy is is that you are on a, on a journey where you deserve something. You deserve you know, punishment. You deserve the consequence. Paul never got over the grace of God, but Paul never got over the mercy of God because Paul realized on the road to Damascus, the Lord stopped me. The Lord stopped me. He could have let me go. He could have let me go. You ever think about that? The Lord didn't have to stop him. The Lord could have let him go. And then, as far as the rest of history goes, if that would have happened, Paul wouldn't be in heaven. <laughs> Paul realized the mercy of God. The mercy of God was so powerful in his life, he realized, God, I don't know why you stopped me, but you did. You stopped me where I was, and you redirected my path. This is the mercy of God. God loves you enough sometimes to stop you where you are. That's what he has to do. Sometimes he just has to get your attention. And this is what I've come to know. This is what I've come to understand. When you build up and understand that God is, is, is for you, he's not against you. When he's, when he's trying to show you the path to take, this is what you realize, that, what the scripture says. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's what the Bible tells me. So no discipline. It doesn't sound fun. This one doesn't sound exciting. But what does, what does the scripture say? It says, later on, though, it's going to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are willing to be trained by it and allowing it to happen. Let's go to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. How do we understand this? Because it says, he, it is he who made us. We are his. So we've been created by him and for him. We've been designed with a purpose. So how do we discover more of this and walk in it. This is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus says in John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that, does be that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words, remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I have something to illustrate that this morning, these little fancy things. <laughs> my, I asked my wife, should I get the big one or the small clippers? And I thought, you know what, this looks more exciting, the big one, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So as we see this, how many know you got a, if you've got a, got a bush or some type of plant, how many know there are dead things on that plant and you got to trim that off, right? Right? 
And then there are sometimes you just got to trim it back. You're not, you're not taking the whole branch off. You're just taking partially back. Why? So that it grows back and it makes it more healthy, right? It creates a healthiness. It's what we call pruning. And so what Jesus is clearly illustrating here is those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ, this is what he says. God is the gardener. Jesus is the, the vine. We are the branches. He says, apart from me, you're not going to be doing anything. This is why it says remain in him. Remain in him. This is what is so key to our life. Now, this can represent salvation, absolutely. Saul, in Acts chapter 9, experienced this. He realized that he could have been a dead branch, and he was on the road uh, on a destiny to be a dead branch, which was, which was not going to be with God. And then he experienced the grace of God and the mercy of God. But what Paul also understood, that Saul at that time understood eventually, was that the grace in that moment changed him, but it continued to change. And so there are going to be times where God is literally going to be trimming things off of you because he doesn't want you walking in shame and guilt and condemnation anymore. And so he trims that right off. He says, no, that's not you. That's not you. You are a child of God. So that, that goes. There are going to be some things he trims back. Not necessarily get rid of completely, but he may trim some things back. It may be a friend you're hanging around with. It's not saying the friend is a bad person, but for whatever reason, whenever you get around them, you don't become a good representation of, of a Christ follower. And so what you need to do is start thinking about ways that maybe you need to cut back on that. Maybe you just don't go to the same places where you act differently when you're around them, but maybe it's, maybe it's a different location. What better location than to bring them to church, amen? <laughs> but you also have to realize this, that there are patterns, behaviors, habits, that God is, is trying to cut things out of you because he doesn't want any of it in you because he knows what it will do to you. And yet sometimes we resist and we fight them. And we think, God, don't, don't worry, I got this. And God's saying, no, 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 no. The proof of who I am is in my words. If you just trust me with what I'm telling you, I'm telling you, no discipline right now seems pleasant at the time, but it's rather painful. Later on, though, it's going to produce a harvest of peace, of righteousness and peace, if you allow me to, to show you that path. And he trims those things back simply because he's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to do something new in you. If you allow him to do something brand new in you, you're then going to see the fingerprints of God, and then you're going to begin to have this joy and peace that you did not know at that type of level. It's going to look different now. You have a different vision now. You have a different path that you are taking now. And sometimes, yes, God will cut us completely off of something. Because why? Because he loves you too much to let you go. It's what any parent and loving parent would do. To say, you know what, there are times that with my kids, I just don't want them going on that path, and I've got to do something. It's what God will do sometimes. To say, you know what, the path you're going, you don't realize it, but it's going down a path that you do not want to go down because he's already seen the results. The Bible says he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He, he knows the path it will go down if you continue. And he trims these things back. He takes these things off simply because he wants what's best for you. So know that the Lord is God. Know that the Lord is God because it says at the end of this verse, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We just said to delight in the Lord. Because you want to know the good news? He delights in you. Listen, if he wanted you to be in his pasture, he's going to put you in his pasture. If he doesn't want you, he would tell you to go to the next pasture. He would go, no, go over there. I don't want you in my pasture. I want you in a different pasture. But the Lord has so much delight in you. He says, you are welcome in my pasture. You are welcome here. And some of us, we need to, we need to really think about that. Because you may be thinking, I don't belong here. I don't belong with God. I don't he, if he just knows, he, trust me, he knows. But he still says to you, welcome. You belong here. You are a child of God. You are a son. You are my daughter. I have created you on purpose with a purpose. If you just remain in me. That's what Jesus said. Remain in me. Here's, here's what I will say to people at times. Because what we have to realize is that there are times where we can get so busy so busy doing things for people. This has also happened. You can also do things for God that you forget to be with God. 
you forget to spend time with him. You've got to be careful with what you allow into your schedule because you can have the best intentions at heart and yet you can be so busy doing things for people, even come to the point of where you do so many things for God that you no longer are with him. Because what if, it could be a good thing even too, but what if you're doing so much and God never asked you to do that? God never said, take that on. But Pastor Bobby, I feel like if I don't, then, then, I'm not, then, I'm, then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. No, Jesus said the very important lesson. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Remain in me. Be with me. Jesus was busy. How many understand that? Read the Gospels. Jesus was a busy person. I mean, think about it. He was busy as busy can get. But if you read the Gospels, I want us to focus in on that. If you start reading the Gospels, I want you to focus the number of times it mentions that he gets away to be with the Father. Gets away from people's expectations. Gets away from the pressure that he, that he feels. Even from pressure that he may even feel. He gets away from the busy schedule. He gets away from all of that simply because he just knows that he needs to be with the Father to be refreshed. Because if he's leading on empty, he's on his way to burnout. You've got to be led with a spirit and a heart that's full. And that's what you and I are called to do. The third point is this, is trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. We're in verses 4 through 5. This is what it says. Enter. Everybody say that. Enter. I love that. Have you ever driven on a path that it said, do not enter? <laughs> I'm not going to. It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> Just want to see if there's any confession in the room. All right. How many of you have seen that sign, do not enter? Guess what that means? Do not enter, right? It means go the other way. You're going the wrong way. It means turn around, right? This is what the psalmist is saying. It's very radical. He says, enter. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Who is he telling to enter? He's saying, all the earth. All the earth. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. I love this because there's a million places that you could be today. A million places, trust me. And yet you're in the best place. You're in his house. The Bible says, as we have read clearly, to come ready before him. Come ready. When I come into this place, I come with thanksgiving. It says, enter his gates, come into his house, come into his temple, come into his church with thanksgiving. This is what you develop thanksgiving. I, I just taught you how you can practice a place where you can experience gratitude, where you can begin to discover all of that. And that will allow you to enter into this place with thanksgiving on your heart because you've seen the fingerprints of God. And what, what you're doing is is there's joy in you. There's something in you that you just, you enter in with this heart of gratitude now. You enter this heart with, this place with thanksgiving on your heart because you've seen God's hand. It may not, I'm not necessarily saying if you had a great week because let's be honest, there are weeks where we have great weeks and there are weeks that are just terrible. They're dark valleys. But the psalmist came to understand something. He says, you know, I'm gonna enter his gates with thanksgiving because even though it may be a dark valley type of a week, I'm entering with thanksgiving because I still have seen his hand. I've still seen it. I'm looking and I've developed that. He's developed that heart. And then he says, enter his courts with praise. This is even more radical because now he's saying you can enter his presence with praise on, our, on your lips. With and, and remember, who's invited? Gentiles invited. See, the, we, they got this twisted back in the day where they just thought this is just for God's people, the Jewish people. And Jesus would come to clearly illustrate that they were people that he was going to use to show who he is as the one true God. And then it's for all the earth, for all the world. And this is why they, he, this is what the psalmist is saying. He says that you enter his courts with praise. You're entering his presence, the inner courts. That's where his presence is. You're entering his presence with praise. And he says this, give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. The reason why he has to say that is because this is what a lot of people still believe. 
is because they serve, there are people around that, that world during that time, even today, who are serving other gods, other religions, all these different things. Some have believed that God was their gods or whatever, were messing with them, didn't want anything to do with them, wanted to mock them or make them feel lesser than what they are, wanted to, you know, make their life troubling, all these different things. There are all these different types of beliefs. How many know people still believe that? <laughs> you encounter a lot of them, a lot of people who think that God is out to get them, that he's out to manipulate them, he's out to make fun of them, he's out to make them feel less or to feel shameful or to feel guilty, all these different things. These are what people believe. This is what the psalmist says, the Lord is good. The foundation of who he is, it's just flat out good. I mean, how do you describe the goodness of God? I mean, you can't. There's no words for it. And so this word good is absolutely loaded. Such a common word to use, good. This is what the psalmist wanted people to know. He is just flat out good, the foundation of who he is. And then he says his love endures forever, which means it's going to pass the test every single time. How many know we don't have to worry about God's characteristics passing the test? Who's the one that needs to pass the test? Us. We have to pass the test. We don't have to worry about God's characteristics passing the test because he passes it every single time, and it's easy. It's part of who he is. He says his love endures forever. It's always going to endure. It's going to endure through it all. This is what's so critical that the psalmist came to realize is that his love endures forever. And then he says his faithfulness will continue throughout all generations. The faithfulness of God has been good in the past. The faithfulness of God in this psalm has, been, has, been, has passed the test even in, that, in those moments. The faithfulness of God will always be there. It's always going to be consistent and it's everlasting. It's always, always, always going to be there. The faithfulness of God. This is what Psalm 23, verse 3, one of my favorite scripture passages, says, the Lord, he leads me down the right path for his name's sake. It's so important because he doesn't say your name's sake because if it depends on you, how many know we will be faithless at times? Okay, maybe I'm the only one. We will be faithless at times, correct? Which is why the psalmist puts that in there. He leads me down the right path for his name's sake because he realizes over and over I have failed the test, but if I, put the faith, if I believe in the faithfulness of God and who he is, he's always going to pass. I don't have to worry about it. God is going to be there with me always. It's not about how the situations play out. It's just about who is with me always. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is who he is. And he says to trust the Lord. This is such a, a powerful reminder today as we walk in this. This is why we can say, with confidence, the Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Amen? Amen. We have the worship team join me up here up front this morning. This morning, there's a couple questions I'm going to ask you. But before we take a time of communion today, the most important question that needs to be asked is, have you put your faith and trust in the Lord? The Bible is very clear. It says, to confess with your mouth he is Lord and to believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead and you will be saved. The Bible's very clear. You've got to confess that he is Lord and believe that he is alive and that he wants to live in you. He wants to reign in your life. But you've got to come to a place of where you humble yourself before God and say, I put my trust in the Lord. Remember what that word, Lord, that name means. The Lord, he is the one in control over my life. Is he in control of your life? Have you allowed that to happen? Before we take up communion, I think it's important that we do this first with every head bowed, eyes closed, real quick. Don't want to say that quickly to tear away the significance of this moment because it is significant. But I want to give people an opportunity this morning to realize and to ask himself that question. Have I put my trust in the Lord? Is my faith in him? Have I, have, I, have I done that? Has there been a moment where I've done that? And if there hasn't been, today is a day where you can put your trust in him. If that's you, just simply clip, slip up your hand 
Everybody's head bowed, eyes closed. We're not going to point you out. I'm not going to make call you out by name or anything like that. I just want to give an opportunity. Don't let the moment slip by. That's you today. Just slip up your hand right now. One, two, three. Just slip up your hand today. God bless you. Thank you for doing that. Here in this moment, we're going to ask the, I'm going to say a, a prayer and phrases because I want to help those who lifted their hands this morning. And I'm going to have the church in this place to say it, all of us together, because we're going to encourage those who did raise their hand because they need to proclaim it. I can't proclaim it for them, but you can, but they can proclaim it over their life. So I'm going to say a prayer and phrases. I'm going to have everybody in this room do it. So that encourages those who lifted their hands today. Say, Heavenly Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I give my life to you. You are my Lord. You are in control over me. I ask that you forgive me of my sin and to live a brand new life in you. Thank you for your salvation and the new life I have in you. Because of the death on the cross and the resurrection from the dead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those this morning with a hand clap that has given their life to Christ? Stand with me this morning. We're going to take up this time of communion today. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to be a regular attender. We just ask that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ to take communion today. If you don't have a communion element, just slip up your hand. We have an usher that will walk the aisles quickly to you. Keep your hand up until they find you. They're going to make their way to you as quickly as possible. And we're going to celebrate communion today together in 1 Corinthians. We're going to read a scripture from there, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul is teaching the church in Corinth how to correctly follow what the Lord established when it talked about receiving communion together. Talking about the bread, talking about the body of Christ. But what I, what I love to, to think about at times like this is not to let this moment rush when it comes to taking communion. I've read stories of the churches that have been persecuted all over the world. And when they take communion, they often say there will be tears in their eyes because they know that this could be the last moment that they could ever have communion with one another because they know they could be martyred the next time they take communion together. They could be imprisoned the next time they actually took, that they take communion together. There could be somebody missing from the table simply because of their dedication to serve the Lord, regardless of the fear of death or of being imprisoned. It's the same thought and mindset Jesus, I think, had when he was with his disciples. And he said, this is the last time that we're going to spend at this table together before everything's going to change. And they didn't realize what that meant in the moment. But they realized later how precious of a moment that was to be with Jesus, to take communion together. And so this is what the Apostle Paul will say in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. I'll read it. We can peel back that first layer and take the bread out. We'll pray over each element before we receive it together. But this is what he says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread. We had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray over the bread together. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Lord, we are broken people, but Lord, because of what you have done, we can be made whole again. Lord, we're so thankful for your sacrifice. We are so thankful for your coming, that you dwelled among us. You lived a life among us. You walked through the same things we've walked through in our life. Lord, you experienced life with us. You did life with us, and we're so thankful for that. We take this bread together and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread together. In verse 23, we'll read this. You can peel peel back that second layer. It says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray over the cup together. Lord, we thank you 
for the privilege it is to know you. We thank you for the sacrifice upon the cross for our sin. God, we don't have to walk in shame, guilt, or condemnation anymore. But Lord, we can walk in the life that you said. We can walk in it more abundantly because of who you are and what you have done for us. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sin so that we can be forgiven and walk in this grace and mercy that continues to change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cup together. Amen. I'm going to have the prayer teams make their way forward if they can up front. Today, if you're walking through a valley and you need the, the Lord to just encourage your spirit, encourage your soul today, we encourage you to come receive prayer. Build your faith by doing that. If there's some things that you're processing through, maybe God's trying to prune something out of your life and, and you just, you need prayer for wisdom today. If you need that today, come forward. We would love to pray for you. If you've given your life to Christ, come forward. We'll be praying for you this morning. Let's sing this together, though with the worship team as they sing. If you want to come, come and, and be prayed for this morning. Let's sing with them before we're dismissed. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Jesus, you deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. come even after this you feel free to do that the prayer teams will remain up here to pray with you today let's bow our heads lord we thank you for the privilege it is to know you we thank you that the lord reigns let the earth be glad we're thankful that you are in control over everything and lord there is no one who is your equal today lord we walk out of here with thanksgiving in our hearts god as we go about our week as we spend time maybe with family with friends Lord, I pray that we be a great representation of you wherever we go. Lord, I know that there could be troubling situations in families. There could be tension. God, I pray that we would be people of peace, Lord, amongst our families and amongst our friends this week so that we be a great reflection of you and even maybe even share your gospel of love and grace for them and for us. Lord, we pray a blessing upon each and every person and their families this week. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.